3: Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
0: People continue to flee Russia in droves. Really an interesting story. Protesting still going on in Iran. we got to take a look at uh, the economy and a bunch of other things. So stay with us.
4: Absolutely, uh, big uh, action-packed show today. Uh, so a couple of disclaimers before we launch into this. Number one, uh, it's on the topic of uh, dealing with transgender things, uh, specifically medical treatments for people who believe they are in the wrong body or, you know, they've been misgendered or what have you. Uh, the usual uh, disclaimer, this has nothing to do with adults. This is only about children. And the second thing is, uh, a lot of the information here is taken from the uh, Twitter uh, account of one Matt Walsh, who many of you know, some of you don't. Uh, He is a conservative activist and writer. Um, I don't agree with everything Matt says, uh, but uh, often I do. So if uh, somewhere in the uh, past or future he said something abhorrent, I'm not talking about that. It's just like Trump. I agree like crazy with Trump sometimes. Sometimes I think he's completely wrong. So, anyway... He writes, my team and I have been investigating the transgender clinic at Vanderbilt here in Nashville. That's where he lives, obviously. Vanderbilt drugs, chemically castrates, and performs double mastectomies on minors. But it gets worse. Here's what we found. And he gets into, and we will get into that uh, in a minute. But first, I wanted to read you something very brief. The New York Times did a story the other day. More trans teens are choosing top surgery. And it's all very cheery about adolescent girls who come to believe the reason for their unhappiness is that they ought to be boys and they get double mastectomies.
0: That's what they mean by top surgery? Yes. yes wow. Indeed. That's yeah. a heck of a decision to
4: make. And then I came across, and it's all very cheery, as I said, um, and they barely touch on the fact that there's very, very little research to indicate that this is a good idea. I know. They mentioned some, you know, a poll of four people who said they're happier now.
0: I know, or have known, half dozen women that went through a period where they thought they were gay, men decided they're really not. Mm-hmm. And I realize that's not as big a decision as I'm, you know, uh, uh, wrongly gendered. But, you know, you can you can think a lot of things when you're younger. Turn out not to be the case.
4: And, and you know, if we didn't have as much material from the Walsh stuff as we do. I would I would go deeply into this piece written by Eddie Scarry that goes uh, goes through a bunch of cases in major publications, including many liberal publications of. Uh, There's Claire, there's Max, uh, there's, uh, let's see, uh, no name in this one, there's Claudia. All of these people, person after person after person, who says, I was unhappy, I was confused, I thought that was the answer. I had something permanent done to my body, and I realized that wasn't the answer at all. And now I can't undo it. I was unhappy for other reasons. I didn't fit in. I was gay. I was scarred from sexual abuse, et cetera, et cetera. But I never, ever should have done anything permanent. And the cases are just heartbreaking. Anyway, back to Matt Walsh's blog. Uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville. Uh, so he says Vanderbilt opened its trans clinic in 2018. During a lecture the same year, Dr. Shane Taylor explained how she convinced Nashville to get into the gender transition game. Notice she emphasized that it's a big money maker, especially because the surgeries require a lot of follow-ups. Go ahead with clip 60, Michael. Some of our
5: UMC financial folks in, 20, in August of 20, sorry, October of 2016, sorry, a couple years ago, put down some of how much money we think each patient would bring in. And this is only including top surgery. This is not including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Um, so female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. Uh, a patient just on routine hormone treatment, who I'm only seeing a few times a year, can bring in several thousand dollars because it requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. Now these I got from the internet, um, but it's from uh, the Philadelphia Center for Transgender Surgery, which has, um, does a lot of um, surgery for patients. And I just wanted to give you an idea of how much these bottom surgeries are making. And this is, I think this has to be an underestimate. Uh, This is for a vaginoplasty. They're saying, they're quoting roughly around $20,000 for a vaginoplasty, but that doesn't include your hospital stay, that doesn't include your post-op visits, that doesn't include Okay, we got the idea, Michael. You
4: can fade that out. The doctor explaining how much money we can make if we get into this business. I'll refer back to the Eddie Scary piece. Every single one of the poor victims of this that were interviewed in the multiple publications, again, including The Atlantic, for instance, which had a hell of a piece a couple of years ago, every single one of them cited a psychiatrist or a doctor or an activist. That whenever anybody expressed any doubt, they said, shut up. You can't bully this person. Shut up. Even if it was the patient themselves, they would say, oh, no, you're making the right decision. You're absolutely making the right decision. Obscene. Moving along. Vanderbilt was apparently concerned that not all of its staff would be on board. Dr. Ellen Clayton warned that conscientious objections are problematic. That's the great phrase used by critical theory. Mm -hmm. Critical race theory, critical queer theory, all that stuff. That's problematic. Then they pick it apart. And anyone who decides not to be involved in transition surgeries due to religious beliefs will face consequences. Clip 61, Michael.
6: If you are going to assert conscientious objection, you have to realize that that is problematic. You are doing something to another person and you are not paying for the, the cost for your belief. I think that is a real, I mean, I think that's a real issue. So um, so I think, you know, so you so yes, Vanderbilt, if someone has a contra- objection to pers- uh, for participating in this sort of surgery, it would probably have to accommodate you to the extent that you can find another person who can do your job who doesn't have an objection, other things of that nature. But I just want you to take home that saying that you're not going to do something because of your conscientious, of, because of your religious beliefs, is not without consequences. And and it should <coughs> not be without consequences. And I just want to put that out there. We are given enormous If you don't want to do this kind of work, don't work at Vanderbilt.
4: Well, that was clear enough. If you dare say, hey, I think this is wrong. These are confused adolescents. You will face consequences. And as uh, Walsh writes, in case the objectors hadn't got the memo, Vanderbilt unveiled a program called Trans Buddies. The buddies are trans activists from the community who attend appointments with trans patients monitoring the doctors to guard against unsafe behavior such as misgendering. And as I pointed out earlier, for goodness sakes, never for a second raising the possibility that this is a confused, unhappy adolescent who's looking for an answer. And this is the wrong one. Don't even bring that up. Sixty two.
5: My name is Sean Riley and I am the Program Coordinator for TransBuddy at the Program for LGBTQ Health at Vanderbilt University. TransBuddy provides trained peer advocates for transgender patients who are coming for doctor's appointments or other healthcare related services. Whether you're looking for something that's related to medical transition such as hormone therapy, or something completely unrelated like breaking an arm or going to an ENT, we are here to help support any transgender patients that come through our doors. The Trans Buddy program was organically created through the efforts of transgender people and continues to consistently be led by trans people in Middle Tennessee.
4: Okay, you can figure that out. Trans Buddy down, program Michael. is a one of a kind. That's the innovation. charming Trans Buddies program with the uh, chimey music. So, uh, the Vanderbilt, there in Nashville, uh, makes their Trans Buddies available to children too, and they make lots of services available to children, quote unquote, services, including chemical castration, also known as hormone therapy. Uh, often using the same drug, by the way, that they use to chemically castrate sex offenders. Do you remember that when that was a big topic of discussion? I think it was in the 90s. Um, at some point in the last month, Vanderbilt removed any explicit admission of the fact that they will treat children from their website. But somebody archived a screenshot from uh, back in the day that made it absolutely clear that they do. In fact, there's a video in which they proudly proclaim it, 63.
5: We can provide gender-affirming hormones on an individual who is on a pubertal blocker depending on whatever kind of blocker they've chosen or we have discussed with them, or they can present to us at a later stage of puberty, and then we provide the gender-affirming hormones. Previously, the Endocrine Society recommended to start these at age 16, but we all know that would be delayed puberty, right? Not 16-year-olds don't start puberty. So more recently, they did update that to say as early as 14 for compelling reasons. So we have some individuals who have started gender-affirming hormones at 13 or 14 to be more like their peers. Again, fertility preservation and consent are very important to discuss prior to any initiation of the
4: Ah uh, consent from a thirteen year old. List for me please the things the thirteen year old is legally able to consent to. Yeah, we're done because the the list is nothing. Practically nothing. Uh, One more for you. Uh, Does Vanderbilt happily perform double mastectomies on adolescent girls, children? Why don't we find out in clip uh, 64?
6: So
5: when we we talk about the WPATH guidelines, so in order for our patients to really um, successfully undergo these surgeries, we do, uh, again, follow these guidelines. So a lot of times it's for insurance purposes, um, but, again... Insurances kind of follow suit with the WPATH guidelines for the most part. So for any kind of top surgery, uh, we do require one letter of persistent, well-documented gender dysphoria by a licensed mental health provider. Um, We ensure that the patient is capable of making uh, fully informed decisions on their own. They're the age of majority. However, for a lot of our younger patients, um, again, if they are 16, 17, here at Vanderbilt, Um, If they have been on testosterone, have a parental consent, um, we're able to do a lot of the top surgeries for those patients.
4: Okay. And again, uh, it's children consenting to this sort of thing. And they mentioned one documented episode signed by a healthcare professional. Back to the Eddie scary piece in which they point out time and time and time again, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, activists uh, who sign these things have convinced the people that this is their issue. So Let's review. Matt Walsh writes, and I agree. Vanderbilt got into the gender transition game in large part because it is very financially profitable. Then they threatened any staff members who objected and enlisted a gang of activists to act as surveillance in order to force compliance. They now castrate, sterilize, and mutilate minors as well as adults while apparently taking steps to hide this activity from the public view. This is what healthcare has become in modern America. I think enough has been said. We'll have a link to that uh, Twitter thread at armstrongandgetty.com if you'd like to look at it again or share it with friends. Much more to come. Stay with us.
3: The Armstrong and Getty
0: Show. According to estimates from the Congressional Budget Office, President Biden's plan to forgive $10,000 per borrower in federal student loan debt will cost nearly $400 billion, or in student loan terms, $27 a month for 30 billion years. (laughs) Um, we're going to have a guest on tomorrow from the Pacific Legal Foundation. They've filed the first lawsuit that hopefully will be successful in trying to stop this clearly illegal act. And if it's not illegal, we're doomed. I mean, we're doomed for a lot of reasons, perhaps. But if any president can spend half a trillion dollars with the stroke of a pen,
4: we got problems. Based on a loose association with a 20-year-old law? Yeah. yeah. Watch we
0: me. Are... Yeah uh anywho a bunch of things to talk about i don't know that i'm going to read this book that is out about uh, the crisis among men in america not working Mm. and it's i was listening to a long podcast with the author yesterday and it's it's fascinating stuff there are something like seven million working age men that just aren't working they're not looking for work either so that's the thing not working and not looking for work and what is going on there and how did we get there and Well, quite a few of them are living in a tent near you. Or living with their parents. Sure. Or living off the government. Living off the rest of us who do go to work. There's an article today in the Washington Examiner. We've quit the pandemic only to start the pandemic of quitting. Millions of Americans. This isn't just men. This is just in general. Millions of Americans have quit their jobs over the past couple of years. Millions more have quiet quit, which is a new label given to the inertia of people collecting paychecks but doing the bare minimum or less at work. Under the headline, A Nation of Quitters, Andy Kessler noted in the Wall Street Journal that there are 3 million fewer workers than there were before COVID hit, and many of them aren't looking for work at all. And it goes back to a period post-World War II in Britain when they ceased being a global power the way they had been in the past, and they just kind of lost their mojo, and a lot of people just stopped working. Which I don't quite get. I guess you have to have a welfare state because it's never seemed right. like an option to me to to quit working.
4: Or people you can glom off of or both.
0: Uh, but this was written in 1954 about uh, people just stop wanting to work in Britain. The lower classes are, for some curious reason, congenitally indolent now. Only the pressure of gain or destitution makes them work. Something profound has happened. various influences have combined to push many of them into an indifference toward or revulsion from employment earning and the accumulation of wealth. And we that think, sounds about right? Yeah, that's what we have going on in the United States right now, just like, I'm just not interested in working. And uh, all of the, you know, for so many people who do work, it's so much of what you are, who you are, how you feel about yourself. But there's a growing, it would seem, chunk of people that just don't want that or
4: they think they don't need it. I think you do need it. Right, right. Well, I totally respect the idea of work-life balance and not define yourself entirely through your work. But, uh, yes, I have absolutely noticed among uh, the younger generation, they want to work enough to support their hobbies. And that is enough. And, you know, uh, to uh, some of them uh, who I may or may not have familial relationships with, I've tried to make the point. Life gets more expensive as you go. If only medical care. You can't be a footloose hippie in your 60s. You you will be destitute.
0: And if you have universal health care, which we're screaming toward. Well, yeah, that helps. That will
4: contribute to that
0: uh, that, uh, view of life. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll come up with more stats from that book because it's really good stuff. Uh, but but it's troubling. It is really troubling, and I'm gonna certainly gonna try to steer my kids away from it. If you miss an hour of this show, get the podcast Armstrong and Getty on demand.
1: Armstrong.
5: We are getting the much-choreographed, much-expected results we were thinking we would get from these sham referenda in four areas. Notably in Zaporizhia, it appears that all the votes are in and a low, comparatively no number of 93%. This theatre is going to move ahead fast. We're going to expect the Russia-appointed head of the Luhansk region to head to Moscow and kick-start the theatre there of this process of annexation.
0: Yeah, so, so it turns out at least in, in that... Uh Area, 93% of the Ukrainians voted to join the country of Russia. Seems surprising. And surprising yeah, results. The polling, polling missed
4: that one. The uh, messaging from the Russians must have been really effective. Yeah, must have run good ads. This is Ian Bremmer's take. Which
0: polls? All of them. Okay. Okay. This is Ian Bremmer's take on it. So the Russians annex Ukrainian territory. The Ukrainians take a bunch of it back militarily. And Putin claims Ukraine is now invading Russia. Putin then announced that Russia is at war with Ukraine. No more special military operation. I'll bet that is coming soon. Mm. This is now, we're now at war at a country. We've been invaded. The good news, says Ian. The good news, not much Russian capacity to escalate. The bad news, WMD possible, which is insane. Yeah, that's the problem, is what is the thinking of Putin? Nobody can see. There's no indication that he has the slightest interest and looking for an off-ramp or getting out of this, or or, or or just accepting the fact that he's in a no-win situation, he's giving no indication of that currently,
4: and it's hard to imagine what the end game is. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. all right, well, here's one possibility: he does all those things you mentioned, and the uh, commentator mentioned, declares war, blah blah blah, and at that moment says, "On the other hand, I am willing to negotiate." Let's let's talk about what's permanently Russia and what's not. ...before I bring the hammer down.
0: Well, if th- if that's met with we're not negotiating, then, then does that do any good?
4: Well, that's what bluffing is. That's the definition of a bluff. And then you find out whether he has the cards or doesn't, or is willing to play them in this case, or doesn't. Meanwhile, people are still trying to escape.
1: Russian President Vladimir Putin faces growing pressure over his war in Ukraine after partially mobilizing 300,000 new soldiers. This week, lines of cars wait to exit Russia through the country's borders. Reports indicate more than a quarter million men have fled in recent days to avoid getting sent to fight.
4: We, like many others, fear that against our will, they could draft us to go and kill peaceful people in another country, in Ukraine. We are completely against this war.
0: So as we speak, the line is still about 10 miles long of cars trying to get out of Russia at one exit point in Georgia. That number there was 200. So you tried to call up 300,000 men, 250,000 men have
4: fled. Well, and Georgia just said, because the lines were like 48 hours long, they said, you can walk in. We'll take you on foot if you want to come. So guys are having to decide, you know, do I just leave my car here? I abandon my car and walk into Georgia. Yeah, uh, I would. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, if if uh, I also got word that yeah, the special forces, the Russian special forces, are uh, heading this way with the draft notices. Bye bye, car. So to
0: remind us all of what's at stake here, I was watching CNN yesterday, and they had on a guy who we've interviewed a number of times years ago, uh, Robert Baer, former CIA guy, gets interviewed a lot. And here's how that went. The U.S. State Department believes the threat of using nuclear weapons is a sign that Putin is losing and that the threat is meant to be intimidation. So far, everyone who says Putin wouldn't be crazy enough to do X have been wrong, because he does. The chances of his using nuclear weapons, at least tactical nuclear weapons, is going up by the day. The Russians that I keep in touch with in Russia are convinced he's going to go nuclear. I don't know how well-connected they are. It was a threat initially, but the more trouble he's in, the more likely he's going to use nuclear weapons. And I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't actually uh, use attack uh, against the Ukrainian forces. There you go. Threat goes up by the day. People he's talking to inside of Russia, who knows how good his sources are, think that Putin will. You talk about bluffing. I don't know. What, what else has he got? What else has he got other than use that and hope he scares, scares people off?
4: Nothing. Nothing other than, like I say, some momentary surge, or something that looks like a surge, then a demand for negotiations. I mean, uh, other than that, I don't know. Because, you know, to quote, who was this? It's a really good article. Uh, Tom Nichols, who writes for The Atlantic, which is frequently terribly annoying, but this is a good piece. Um, says, Putin, like many authoritarians, relies on an image of personal invulnerability, and so he rightly fears the political risks of military defeat. At home, even his most loyal sycophants are demanding that he do something to stem the losses in Ukraine. Then he mentions uh, a couple of foolish moves. Number one, he's personally involved in some of the operational decisions in Ukraine now, which is always terrible for a head of state. And secondly, the conscription drive that's supposed to mobilize an additional 300,000 men he points out all the, between the people fleeing, the difficulty of uh, training them, the lack of equipment to equip them with, the horrible morale problem, etc. He says that the very idea of this mobilization is damn near a joke.
0: Yeah, speaking of it being a joke and Putin controlling some of the movements, I saw a general actually laugh on CNN yesterday when it was put to him. Putin is now personally directing the troops and the general laughed. Basically saying that might be his worst idea yet. So that has never worked throughout history and gave a bunch of examples. But Putin actually from Moscow or wherever he is trying to direct what the troops are doing. It's just
4: wow. Wow. You know, one interesting aspect of that that hadn't occurred to me was that, uh, and several advisors of the people I'm sure that general quoted through history or cited through history have said the same thing. If you are in command directly, loss will be your loss. You won't be able to plausibly blame it on anybody but you. Are you sure you want to do this?
0: Well, that's why it looks like the death throes of the regime or, or his, 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 uh, his power and then how does he go out anyway uh this happened overnight
5: the first leak was reported on the never opened nord stream 2 line on monday then on tuesday two leaks were found on the nearby nord stream 1 with swedish scientists detecting explosions if sabotage is confirmed here that could mark a new and serious escalation in the energy war raging alongside the conflict in ukraine
0: most people think the russians blew up parts of the nordstrom pipeline and uh yeah a new new level of the energy war
4: that's funny you should you just said that because i was going to say so many people voice dictate emails and texts to us and it always comes out nordstrom pipeline (laughs) that nordstrom's might as well just sponsor it and get the advertising out of it get yourself some shoes and some natural (laughs) gas pipeline, right?
0: And of course, is that beyond him to do that? What are you kidding? He bombs maternity hospitals. So,
4: yeah, yeah. Wow, this would all be just really great and interesting were it not for the specter of nuclear holocaust.
0: And continuing, even if that doesn't happen, the continuing what it's doing to the economy and gas prices and everything around the world? Crap!
4: Crap, I say. Next card to be played may well be Michael, get the gong ready. China! The gong is not ready. There it is. Um, China! Right, sir. That's right, sir. The last thing Xi Jinping wants right now is global horror, chaos, and an economic collapse that would ruin him in his quest this year to become the ruler for life. That is the last thing he wants. And he, he doesn't want Russia screwing up his grand plans to become the ascendant you know power in the universe. So what will Xi Jinping, what is Xi Jinping saying to Vlad Putin right now? What levers can he pull? What offers can he make? Because he will not sit silent.
0: After this question, I will shut up about it, because right. I've always been kind of obsessed with this sort of thing, but if we get a breaking news this afternoon, everybody in the world gets a little ding on their phone. Attack nuclear bomb has just been set off, wherever, and the the reports start to come in on that. What do you think the reaction is?
4: Well, universal horror. Uh, do you mean from like NATO and the United States, or anything? Ugh. Is is it is it going to be?
0: Is the mood going to mostly be, "Oh, we've got to go in there and stop this guy," or is the mood going to mostly be, "We better back off"? That's what I'm wondering. No. Oh. Yeah, wow, what a good question. Um I'm not certain that it uh, 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 the people in charge should be saying, well, you know, we've got to follow through it on what Joe Biden said. Um there will be a very there will be what was it? catastrophic catastrophic resp- uh, d- response. Catastrophic for Russia response. But uh I don't know if that's what the mood of the world is
4: going to be. I don't know. It's a question almost too horrible to contemplate. Thanks for
0: bringing it up. I think it might happen. I mean, I think Look, everybody's leaving the party now. Thank you. Think, nice job. I think, Great. I think like under uh, other than like hypotheticals through the years where I've brought this up so many times where the chance of it is very low, I think the chance is real decent that this happens. I would agree.
4: Yeah. Oh and it's horrifying. God. Holy crap. It's I, I would love to know what's been discussed behind the scenes between the United States and Russia. Slash NATO and Russia um, and, and what China and India are saying through diplomatic channels, because the chances that we have not broached this subject specifically with them is zero. Right. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely being discussed. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Again, I ought to man up and, and attempt to really answer it. I can't get past my own horror.
0: He's close to being clearly crazy. I mean, when Turkey and India and China basically cut him loose last week and said, you got to end this and he's continuing, he's close to being like, how do you call him anything other than insane? Uh,
4: uh, Unless, again, part of the on off ramp and and part of whatever we do has to be offering him an off ramp. Um, Part of his self-administered off ramp is swearing he will never take an off ramp because that's how you get the best off ramp. I'm hoping Mm. that's what this is. But
0: I don't know. Some gymnast that he pinned a medal on and won gold medals years ago that I don't remember the name of just uh, left the country and is bad mouthing him. Yeah, he's a uh, I, he's I don't know. Yeah,
4: so, craziness. Oh, I, you know, I I got to at some point get to that whole uh, conservatives who are backing Putin, like Tucker Carlson, for instance. Yeah, uh, what's going on there? Maybe kick off next hour with that because I would like to hear that because I uh, we
0: we we get, we get te- I get texts right here in front of me along those lines. People that seem to back Russia over Ukraine here, and it seems to be a conservative thing. I don't mm, quite understand. Kinda, it.
4: sorta. It's it's a subcategory of conservatives. Okay,
0: I need to uh, I need to ask for advice from parents whose kids have taken up a certain musical instrument, uh, because that has started in my house, and is loud. Oof! Uh, that, among other things, on the way.
1: Armstrong and Getty.
3: getty show
0: drums is the answer my son has decided to play the drums in the fifth oh, grade yes. and uh and that's cool you know i'm i'm, I'm pro learning a musical instrument and everything like that but man he, we had to get a snare drum you got to get the beginning snare drum kit is what they require I was kind of surprised that they're not going electronic at this point because electronic drums are really good at this point like if they're silent and they feel like drums but yeah. Nope, we went and got the real snare drum, and he was a banging away on that thing in the house, and that is loud.
4: Yeah. Oh, man.
0: Even with the mute pad, it's
4: loud. So You know, I, the timing didn't work out. I had all of that stuff. I could have just given it to you, but I donated it to our local mm-hmm. high school. But um, Oh, yeah. I remember when I was a young trombonist, and uh, boy, am I playing uh, the stuff of legend. Fortunately, we don't have any tape. We don't have any tape. <laughs> uh, our house was small that I grew up in, so the the place to practice your instrument was the kitchen. But um, again, back to the house not being very big, my parents would uh, demand that I practice and then have to put up with it for a half an hour. And it's the sacrifices you make out of love. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will. I will. I will
0: allow them to uh, practice. I uh, put on my new uh, noise-canceling headphones and practice away.
4: Oh, they've never earned their keep more than they're about to. <laughs> and then, of course, you can go to the concerts. Yes. The elementary school concerts. I love this. The band director gets up. He says into the microphone. All right. Now we're going to play a piece called Counting Fun. Three, four.
2: ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha.
6: Ha, ha.
4: And now, happily, we roll along.
0: <laughs> For forty five, and I assume the snare drum kids will just be going bang, 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 <laughs> bang, bang. bang, bang. bang, bang, bang. <laughs> exactly.
4: <Yeah. laughs> oh man, love it. <laughs> so, hey, uh, I promise you this; I'll do it as quickly as possible. Uh, both Jack and I have been somewhat mystified by Tucker Carlson and his uh, pro Putin uh, leanings lately. And I love Tucker in a lot of ways as a writer. Um, very, very clever. And I've through the years agreed with him on a lot of things. He strikes me as having gone off the deep end on certain topics lately. And I've been trying to understand why. And my theory has been like last night, for instance, he was laying out the case that Biden
0: was behind the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipeline and not the Russians.
4: That's ridiculous. Um, But uh, actually, do we have that clip? I think we do, don't we? Somebody? Um, Anybody? I'm scanning the list. Uh, Where is it? I know we did. We talked about it in the pre-show meeting. Can you imagine? We actually have a meeting about this.
0: And still it turns out
4: this way. Yeah. Nobody can find it? All right, don't worry about it. Um, Anyway, uh, so I've been trying to figure out why. And I assumed, or the best I could do so far, was that (sighs) Vlad Putin... And he's got the full cooperation of the Russian Orthodox Church in this, is portraying himself as the great defender of Western values against all the critical theory stuff, uh, the the complete dismantling of the idea of there's a man and a woman, there's gay, there's straight. No, There's every. everybody's everything all the time, and anything goes all the time, and you can do drugs and have bums and junkies on the street, and uh, no rules, just right, okay? And... There are a lot of us who are uncomfortable with that sort of thing, and some people are willing to embrace something close to fascism to prevent it, meaning the threat from the the uh, evildoers is so severe, we can't be restrained by the Constitution or by decency or high-road politics anymore. We've got to go hardcore. Uh, Steve Bannon would tell you that, for instance, or Roger Stone or whatever. But there's more to it than that. And uh, I'm quoting eh, Nick Cattagio, who's one of the writers for The Dispatch. um, Who is He mentions some of the aspects of what I'm talking about in his article. But then he goes into um, the fact that that vein of conservatism is fighting not just liberals, but... Oh, moderate left and moderate right who believe in the rules-based international order, for instance. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. I've always believed conditioning the right was the barely hidden agenda of Carlson's Russia apologetics. Um, in March, the economist Noah Smith astutely diagnosed the reason the socialist left and authoritarian right each seem so invested in seeing Putin prevail in Ukraine. Both of those groups are basically committed to upholding the global liberal order. Putin, by invading and attempting to conquer a sovereign state, challenges that order. If Putin succeeds, even modestly, it represents a failure for the U.S. establishment figures who tried to stop him. And establishment failures equal insurgent opportunities. Both the rightists and the leftists here are fighting against the idea that uh, we're past that period of history.
0: Well, that is troubling (laughs) when you got the Marxist types on the left who are trying to tear everything down so they can install a new... So something and and people on the some level of the right want to do the same thing oh yeah. that's troubling
4: yeah carlson understands he writes that convincing the right to ditch traditional conservatism for illiberalism requires uninstalling a lot of civic and cultural software uh, Republicans who grew up during the Cold War have fear and loathing of uh, Russia and their political DNA, but we've got to dismantle that conventional thinking to seize power and stand up against the evildoers that I was talking about before. And again, the threat from the evildoers is so severe, we don't have to follow the rules anymore. We've got to fight hard and fight dirty. And I suspect uh, some of you believe that, too. I'm going to hold on to the Constitution. Thank you. And, you know. And the concepts of international order that have kept peace and grown prosperity for the last, you know, three quarters of a century. But uh, anyway, I think that's what's going on. Any thoughts? Mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Much more to come. If you can't stay tuned, grab the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand.
5: Armstrong and Getty.
4: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Avoid. We're prohibited by law. See Terms and Conditions 18. Plus.
2: What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks.